these young girls like don't know how to stand up for themselves. They don't know that they should stand up for themselves. They don't know the difference between, you know, being touched appropriately and inappropriately. Like, and even if they do, they just don't feel that they have any like right to bring it up basically because they are so blessed to be in this position to be like a potential Olympian. You're listening to Atlas Now Streaming, the podcast where we talk about your favorite movies, television shows, and documentaries on streaming platforms. Atlas Now Streaming is produced by Atlas Men Staff with your hosts, Jamie Zarlingo and Nina Granger. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie, and I'm Nina. Today we're talking about something a little bit more heavy, definitely serious topic. It's a documentary. We are talking about the recently released Netflix original documentary, Athlete A. And this one is a little difficult as far as subject matter goes. It's definitely hard to watch and listen to, but I definitely think it's important. And um, truth be told, I didn't really know a whole lot about this. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the story, Athlete A is about the USA Gymnastics team and their doctor they had on hand, Larry Nasser, and his proven guilty um, abuse of hundreds of gymnasts uh, over decades. It's it's truly a harrowing story. And um, like I said, not, not the easiest to get through, but important. Um, Nina actually brought this one to us. I think, wasn't it Michelle who posted a trailer for it? I think so. And I knew, I knew it had been coming out. I was excited, but I kind of forgot about it. And then I got excited again. Um, but for me, when all of this, everything that was happening with Larry Nasser, um, like being accused, going to trial, all the investigation and all that stuff, um, that was right around the 2016 Olympics, right after. Um, mm-hmm. So it was super relevant. Like at that time, you know, a lot of people are super into the, like into USA Gymnastics during the Olympic season. So I was pretty already like involved in keeping up with everything post-Olympics. Um, so not a lot that happens in this documentary is was new information to me, but it was very interesting to hear the perspective from of the women, um, to hear their testimonies, to see the footage of him being, you know, questioned. Um, it, was, it was fascinating and infuriating and disturbing. Um, but, you know, if if you're familiar with the story, there, there is a happy ending here. So um, there, we have that to look forward to. <laughs> yes. And as it is a documentary, it is a true happy ending. So um, justice was definitely served. Um, but like I said, this is available on Netflix. It actually was not intended to be on Netflix. It was supposed to have its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in April of this year, but the festival was canceled due to the pandemic. So that's when it was released on Netflix in June of 2020. So it's been out for just about a month, a little over a month. It was directed by Bonnie Cohen and John Shank. And, um, 
it's only about an hour and 44 minutes long, not a very long documentary. And unlike a lot of the docu-series that we have reviewed in the past, it's way more concise and it definitely, you know, gets to the point. But I learned in just a little bit of research, which we'll get to later in the show, that it doesn't actually tell you everything. There's also some stuff that has happened since the release, um, or at least just since the making of, of the documentary. So definitely some information left out, but what's in it is, is pretty shocking. Um, but let's get into it. So again, this is about the USA um, gymnastics team and the controversy that surrounded um, not only sexual and physical abuse, but the claims and how um, it kind of swept it under the rug. And there was a, a culture of, of keeping things quiet, covering for people that should not have been covered for, and silencing uh, young women for decades, decades. And it's, um, it's definitely very uh, eye-opening. So Nina, you said that you really followed the Olympics in 2016. Have you always been a big follower of the Olympics? I think it's a fun thing to revisit every four years. Um, there's a lot that you don't hear about in the downtime, but like, you know, between every four years when the Olympians are just practicing and they, they're working their way up to get onto the U S team and whatnot, you don't really hear a whole lot of uh, like a whole lot of hubbub about it. I really didn't even know. I guess the home base for the USA gymnastics team is in Indiana, and I had no idea, which is pretty close to us um, in Omaha here. But um, so basically, just leading up to the Olympics, you know, when when all of the excitement starts to begin, um, I like to tune in and, and hear about the athletes and what they've been doing over the past four years to prepare. Um, I really like Olympics. I really like swimming. Um, basically the stuff that the U.S. is really good at. <laughs> so, I got to be honest, I'm not big into the Olympics. I never have been. Really? I feel like, yeah, I feel like that just kind of makes me a bad American, maybe. <laughs> it's I definitely don't... a commitment. I mean, it's a lot of hours of watching yeah. sports, basically. Um, and you miss some stuff because it literally goes on for like 24 hours a day. So like you'll have to wake up early in the morning and kind of see what you missed and on the recap and whatnot. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a, it's like a whole thing, you know? And it's funny that we are talking about this now because the 2020 Olympics was actually supposed to start this next week. Yep. And unfortunately that's not going to happen. It's just so much that we've lost this year, but um, I do remember in, I believe it was 2016 when Simone Biles got, um, I mean, she's just a fantastic, fantastic athlete and she, I mean, she got the gold right in 2016. And, um, I remember hearing about her a lot. I, you know, I, I pay attention here and there, but it's just, it's not really been my thing, unfortunately. So again, me, I didn't really know anything about any of the context of, of the documentary, but it starts talking to um, Maggie Nichols, who is actually the athlete A. Um, the title means her when she first made her first um, allegation towards uh, Dr. Nasser, she was not referred to by name. And so that's where the name of the documentary comes from. So she was about um, like probably yeah, 15 or 16 or 17 years old um, when she was competing, um, representing the United States in international competitions in 2015. Um, she was in the World Artistic Gymnastics Championships where um, she won a team gold medal and a bronze medal. 
Um, and then at the national championships, she was a bronze medalist in an all around, uh, sorry, she was the bronze medalist in the all around and on uneven bars and floor exercise in 2014, silver medalist in the all around in 2015. And in June of 2015 is when all of this popped off. So the documentary alludes to, uh, Maggie was talking to another one of the girls about um, how Dr. Nasser, their, um, just kind of their physician on hand when girls get injuries. Because of course, if you're familiar with gymnastics, it can get really gross with, you know, the different bends and the different things you can break. And you learn so much in this documentary of how hard these girls train and push themselves and they're young girls generally. Um, and it's, it's absolutely inspiring. I mean, I could never do the things that they do and just, they do it so effortless, effortless, effortlessly. And also when you hear, especially in the history of gymnastics, how some of these women have, you know, done some of these stunts, if you'll call them stunts, tricks, stunts, performances on, you know, sprained ankles, you know, hurt knees and amazing. I'm such a baby. I couldn't, I'd be like, no, sorry, my ankle hurts, not doing it. But, um, but anyway, um, so she is talking to another one of the girls about how Dr. Nasser has been, you know, he touches her weird and she kind of says it like, like a massage or something and she doesn't find it comfortable. She finds it very weird. And, um, she talks to another girl asking like, Hey, is it normal? And the girl's like, Oh yeah, well, this is all overheard by their coach. It goes all the way up to this, to the president of of the entire USA gymnastics team. And he didn't say anything. He told, um, Maggie had told her mother about it. Her mother was trying to figure out more information. Um, you know, my, my daughter was molested. Who do I talk to? It gets up to the president and he's like, don't worry, we'll handle it. And then nothing ever comes of it. And I believe he waits what, like five months to say anything at all to the FBI. And it's just, you can already tell from the beginning that, you know, they don't really care about these things. Maybe this is normal. Maybe this happens all the time. Um, and we heavily are focused on um, the Indianapolis star, which actually broke the story of um, Dr. Nasser assaulting young female gymnasts. And as soon as the story broke, I mean, hundreds of calls started coming in and saying, Hey, something similar happened to me. Just hundreds of women who had felt silenced or felt, like it was their fault, typical, you know, abuse tactics now feel that they have a voice and they're starting to come forward. And so this documentary kind of goes back and forth between, between the Indianapolis star breaking the story to, you know, athlete A aka Maggie kind of breaking the story. And it's really unfortunate what happens to her. She doesn't even make alternate for the 2016 Olympic team. And, um, Part of it is score, but you can tell that pretty much once she said something, it was almost like she was blacklisted, which as we know is not, you know, it's not just in, you know, gymnastics. I mean, that type of gaslighting is everywhere, especially for women in, you know, in Hollywood with the Me Too movement and um, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, this is nothing new, unfortunately. Um, things like this happening and it, watching this documentary made me so angry because, it's, this is something we know all too well. Well, that, and it's important to note that these are young, young girls. Like you start 
these women start training for the Olympics when they're like 10, 11, 12, you know, they finally make it up to the Olympics between like, I don't know. I don't know how the young, how I think the youngest one was like 15, um, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. And then they're out after that, pretty much they get to a point where they're like too old and, um, they have to quit basically. And so these young girls, like don't, know how to stand up for themselves they don't know that they should stand up for themselves they don't know the difference between you know being touched appropriately and inappropriately like and even if they do they just don't feel that they have any like right to bring it up basically because they are so blessed to be in this position to be like a potential olympian um it's just like this horrifying like situation that they are put in between all of the different things that happen to them in the course of their time with USA Gymnastics, but they're put in a position of being silenced, but you have to take into account their age, really. Like, you know, people are like, well, why didn't they say something earlier? Why didn't they say something sooner? And it's like, well, I mean, when you're like 13, 14, 15, like, and a doctor is doing something to you, you're probably thinking this is fine. This is what he's supposed to be doing, right? And that's what's so just heartbreaking about all of it is, you know, everyone was saying, oh, he's this doctor. He was universally liked. He was quirky. He was funny. He, and a lot of the girls even said that as, as awful as it sounded out of all the adults in the world of gymnastics, especially the elite gymnastics competitions, he was the nicest person. And that is what is so scary is these nice people can be just monsters on the inside and it's it's terrifying to to think about just everyone we know um i, I didn't have oh sorry i was just gonna say i do want to clear up a couple of things it's steve penny not perry and okay. he waited five weeks before saying anything to the fbi not five months but um the story of dr nasser didn't break until 15 months after all of this had happened. So he continued to abuse women for over a year after the first allegation, which is gross. And I think that there's uh, they talk about in the documentary that there's like the state law in Indiana, that if there's any allegation of like child abuse or sexual misconduct or anything like that reported to a child that they have to report it immediately. And that did not happen. Clearly not. <laughs> What I do really appreciate about this documentary is it does also go back to like the 70s and the 80s when we didn't have this this giant gymnastics team that we we do or at least did before um, before 2017 when there's the sentencing and all of this really kind of came out. Um, it goes back to you know you know Russia when we were competing with Russia and pretty much everything but um we basically like stole their tactics to creating these olympic gymnasts which as anyone could tell you or knows the russians don't have the best methods i'll say when it comes to training their gymnasts i mean it was physical abuse overworking like i said competing on you know broken legs broken foot um sprained ankles competing no matter what every single day for hours on end. And, um, the, they took a few, um, Russians back to America and that's when we started winning the gold medals. And, um, then the, the camp, the training camp in Texas, um, came about, I don't know if it was about the same, that was well, like the eighties when that happened. Yeah. I think it was when Bella Caroli came 
here to start coaching that he opened that camp. And that place is where Dr. Nasser did a lot of his abuse. Um, and in addition to competitions and, um, travel and things like that, cause he, he went everywhere with, with the girls. Um, but it, it really just started off as very intense, strict training. But when these girls got to the camps, I mean, the parents would talk about how they didn't get to see their children. They didn't get to be on the camp's grounds, which, I mean, it's so sad because Maggie's dad is talking about it and he's like, well, we just, you know, we put our trust in these people. We trusted these adults to take care of our kids. And that's what's so awful is you should be able to trust other adults, but you just can't. And it sucks that, you know, this happened to however many families who probably felt, oh, this is my fault or, oh, which of course it's not. Um, but, you know, just for how long this went on and how long this abuse went on. Um, and Steve Penny took over as the CEO or the president in the, in the 90s. And then that's when the, um, the gymnastics team kind of became this marketing, you know, superstar, I guess. I mean, everyone wanted to sponsor themselves with, with the gymnastics, with like Coca-Cola, different, you know, uh, like Kellogg, all these different brands wanted to collaborate with the U.S. gymnastics because they had all this money. And that's what it became about. It became less about the people and it became about the money that this brand, this image could bring, um, which of course, again, money rules everything. <laughs> so um, when all these allegations started to come forward, I mean, we interview a few of the gymnasts from the, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, who this had happened to and who bravely came forward to, to be in this documentary, to be interviewed. And, um, it's, it's kind of sad to see just like that span of abuse that this one doctor was able to have and all of the women that we didn't get to see all of the voices that we didn't get to hear. Thankfully towards the end, once, um, Dr. Nasser gets sentenced, he is arrested. Um, at his, he ends up doing a plea deal, which I hate, but you know, whatever he gets, he gets thrown in prison. I think he got two 60 year sentences, so he'll be there for life. Um, but you get to hear from so many of these survivors that, you know, as part of the plea deal, he has to listen to all of them say what they want to say to him, which I found extremely satisfying and brave, incredibly brave as well. Yeah. The lawyers that represented the women were badass ladies. Yes. Um, super happy to see them just dragging him on screen. Um, but if you, we, it highlights a lot in this show that like, it's so obvious in retrospect and with all of the pieces of the puzzle that he had been grooming these girls for years. Um, like you said, with him being like the nicest guy, like all these other, all the coaches and, and everyone else that kind of facilitated the team were super strict and yelled at the girls and, and broke them down and said that they needed to lose weight and, and all these like terrible things that would just make you feel like such shit as a young girl, like a, as a, someone that you know you go through so much in that time of your life anyway and then mm -hmm. you're expected to basically be doing an adult sport as a child um in an adult competition essentially um and you're living up to these like, incredible expectations by all of your coaches and everything and then larry nasser not larry nasser comes along and is giving these girls candy bars and telling them that they're great and they're great the way they are and you know, he might 
do something weird on the side, but like <laughs> overall, like the the message that he was kind of giving to these women was that he supported them and and he would do whatever that it took to to you know make them happy as athletes and these girls were seeing him multiple times a day which is horrifying mm-hmm. like it, oh, it's just disgusting what really kind of creeps me out about the whole thing is yeah these are very young girls like Nina was saying earlier that you know pretty much once you're 18 you're done you know it, these are young girls that are going traveling the world in the olympics for gymnastics and every other sport is adults generally so uh, you're already having these these young girls in this super strict disciplined sport they're already under so much pressure they're already being forced to just work day and night to train for this extremely intense sport and then on top of that are being inappropriately touched by somebody they're supposed to trust and they're away from their parents they're away from their friends they don't have that voice when they're this young and it's disgusting because one of one of the um one of the women who came forward who actually was a really big voice in the documentary which i appreciated was was um Rachel Den Hollander she competed i believe in um the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, she had originally brought it up with someone when she was younger about what was happening to her. They pretty much told her to be quiet and not say anything. And she didn't. And then she talks about when the story came out in 2016, she was so relieved and she was like, I, I was right. I, I'm not crazy. This is, this really happened to me. And to think of, again, all the hundreds of other girls that also read that story and thought the same thing, like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. This is he's the bad man but I she had talked about she and Jamie both when they started to come forward about their truth and what happened to them just the they showed some of the the comments that they had received online um and something that Nina had brought up when people ask you know oh it took you you know 20 years to figure out what happened to you these girls just want their their money and their fame you know, they're washed up has-beens, which I just, and again, we've heard this before. We've heard this in Hollywood. We have heard this directed towards anyone who comes forward about abuse, men or women, but especially women, that they're dismissed as just wanting fame and just wanting money, which I understand that happens sometimes, an extremely small amount of times. But these people who say these things to these women, you this is why they don't come and speak out part of it because they know that they're going to be, their lives are going to be torn apart that. And two, they don't even really probably realize this is wrong. And I I know I'm jumping ahead, but at the very end of the documentary, one of the um, attorneys, I believe it's Maggie Nichols's uh, attorney makes a statement that these girls are, you know, coming of age and they have this very personal experience taken from them without their choice. And they're spending the rest of their lives trying to, you know, get that back, to own that again, to own that piece of themselves. And that is what disgusts me the most is abuse in any form, of course, is wrong and disgusting. And those who do it should be locked away forever. But especially because they're so young. I mean, that's something that they're always going to have, you know, something that they can never have back because of this man and this 
industry that didn't care about what happened to them, swept it under the rug. One thing that I found extremely upsetting was um, they mentioned that the organization has a policy of not alerting the authorities of abuse unless it is signed by a victim or a victim's parent. And um, the Indy Star found complaints against more than 50 coaches that had just been tucked away somewhere. Um, that's disgusting. I mean, how many other people are out there that never got justice? I mean, it's just, of course, Dr. Nasser is a monster, but how many other people got away with, with what they did? Well, I wonder how they can even have a policy like that. Is it because the, you know, these are coaches telling young girls, like, you need to lose weight? And I mean, what is their rationale behind saying, like, no, we need to have you out, like, sign a form with your parents in order to report this allegation? It's just, it's insane. Like, why? I don't know. It's, I don't know if they were getting complaints because, like, I mean, that's the only thing I can really think of is young women probably don't like being yelled at and and criticized and all of those things. And so they just said, well, we'll just make it a rule that you can't complain about anybody unless you sign it with your parent. Um, and I keep thinking back to like these poor parents that like if I had a child that was a future Olympian, they were so good at one, something that, you know, at a really young age, they are literally one of the best people in the world at their sport. Like what an honor. These parents must think like, oh my gosh, like what an honor to have my child be a future Olympian probably. And you're going to put, you know, all of your eggs in that basket and trust the people that are going to get your kid to where they need to be. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's insane to think that it wouldn't be a safe environment for these like kids, young kids. And to put it also in comparison to all the other sports in the Olympics that are adults, you know, that wouldn't ever cross anybody else's mind really. But these Mm -hmm. poor children that really should be monitored by, you know, family or by a counselor or something. And this whole thing also really delves deep into just mental health in general, because which we can, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, but Mm -hmm. um, like, can you imagine being like 12 years old or 14 years old or 16 years old and say like, you're going to be an Olympian athlete and they're telling you, you know, hundred pounds is too fat. You need to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Like how detrimental that can be to your mental health overall. And all of the just mental abuse that these women suffer from their you know, their teammates, their coaches and all of that. And then you go to this doctor who's like, oh, you're great. Here's a candy bar. Yeah. Like, I just, oh, it's just so sad. To, very, like, it's just so sad. And very confusing too for those girls again, because of yes. their age. Um, that also reminds me too of Maggie Nichols's parents after she had come forward. Um, her dad mentioned something about, you know, at all these different competitions, these international events that they went to, I mean, they followed the parents around with cameras. They had special seats for them. They would, for her, like the tournament, I'm assuming to qualify for, uh, the national or the Olympic team, they had nowhere, they had no seats for them. Nobody was following them around. Like automatically they're just like, nope. And that just that change of attitude towards this insanely talented athlete 
person. And as soon as she tells you, Hey, one of your employees is abusing people, or at least at the very least abusing me, one person isn't enough to, you know, at least make you look into things like, or again, like they have known for decades and just don't care. And the documentary also talks about the USA gymnastics organization helping, you know, and Steve Penny helping Dr. Nasser hide some of this, helping, trying to cover it for him. So they're under investigation as well. And um, I read a little bit of information on, you know, post-documentary things that weren't in the documentary. I mean, they've lost like all of their money pretty much after um, Penny stepped down is when they started to lose all of their sponsors after all this, which I would too. Like, I would be like, no, I'm not representing you anymore. You're not representing us. Are you kidding? Like, so thankfully these brands have, you know, stood up for what's right and been like, nope, we're not going to, you know, support abuse. I specifically child abuse. Um, but again, you know, at the, at the, at the end of the documentary, they kind of do bring you up to speed a little bit on, um, at least just like the grand picture. So the, the training camp has, has shut down, uh, Dr. Nasser is in prison. Um, and Steve was actually arrested for like covering like felony charges of like cover up. Um, and that the, the actual Olympic organization is under investigation as well for their years and years of sweeping things under the table. But hopefully it doesn't turn out like everything else in the world turns out where nothing happens. But you know what? There's no gymnastics this year anyway. So I guess it kind of worked out in a way. True. Um, so many things. It, well, this this topic is just just so heavy. It really is. Let's take a little break from this topic and from this documentary. And let's talk about what else we're watching. Well, per Morgan Felix's recommendation in our last podcast, I finished a show that I had started on that was on Apple TV called Defending Jacob. You did. What do you think? I did. Um, well, there were, it was actually pretty on par because I had said that I read the book. Um, last year, my New Year's resolution was to read at least one book every month. And I actually stuck to my resolution for once. And so I read that actually at the beginning of 2019. Um, it was a recommendation from my, one of my friends and, um, I know Morgan talked about this in, in our last podcast, but basically it's just about this trial for a child that was murdered. And one of his classmates is accused of the murder and his dad is the district attorney. So a lot of like kind of awkward, I don't know, like situational kind of thing where the dad has a whole hard time with the whole thing. Um, everyone thinks that he's innocent, blah, blah, blah. So, um, there were a few differences between the show and the, and the book, not enough to like really complain about like the things that they changed. I understand why they changed. Um, I really liked it. It was really nice to see Chris Evans in a role that was not a superhero, I guess. Like I kind of forgot that he's in a lot of movies before he became Captain America. Mm -hmm. I kind of forgot about his acting abilities. 
also he's not blonde in this movie his his like hair and his beard are all brown and he looks real good not gonna lie that's funny that you that you mentioned that about chris evans because i know him from not another teen movie yes and tom and i just watched that like two weeks ago and i was like oh my god i forgot he was in this movie yeah he's probably the biggest name to come from that movie really yeah um that was a I was a big fan of that in middle school. It's definitely a little lowbrow, but oh my um, god, it's so inappropriate for when I watched that movie. Like yes, I, horribly, horribly inappropriate for the yes. age that I watched it at. I was <laughs> eleven when I watched that movie for the first time. I was about to start sixth grade, or maybe it was seventh grade. It was one of those years. Oh my gosh, even just watching it last like two weeks ago, I was like, God, there's a lot of cringeworthy moments in this movie that I thought. Sure. Was- funny then and I'm like oh my god if I had a child that was like 12 years old watching this I would be like absolutely not yeah it was either 2003 or 2004 when I saw it and I learned quite a bit of vocabulary from the movie I'll just say that but he that is where I found Chris Evans for the first time yeah dreamboat and he's also like one of the nicest people ever I've heard Mm-hmm. And I follow him on Twitter. He talks about his dog. He takes a lot of pictures of his dog and he's just very cool. He's just so cute. He's just like, uh-huh. oh, I don't think he's dating anyone. So well, just saying. He was dating. Was he not dating Jenny Slate for a while? I think they were, but they broke up like in oh, 2018 or something like that. That's like, too bad. While. <laughs> well, I was like, is Chris Evans single like, while I'm watching him on TV? <laughs> Just curious. No right reason. Next to your husband, too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, no one can deny that he is just like, just a great guy. He reminds me a lot of Paul Walker, honestly. Aww. Like, very mm-hmm. handsome. Just like a good guy. A good dude. Yeah. God, I miss Paul Walker. He was amazing. We stan Paul Walker and Chris Evans on this podcast. <laughs> Yes. Um, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you liked the show then? Yeah. I'm kind of sad. I watched it really quick and I'm like, it's kind of sad that it's over now. Do you need to read the book to appreciate the show? No, no. I think it is. You get the same message really out of it. Um, just the way that the mom handles the whole thing versus the dad is like really interesting to see on screen. Um, I thought the book was, I don't know. It, it's kind of like, it's a little bit of a depressing story, kind of. I mean, the whole thing is about a child that's murdered. So you're like, mm. you're like you go into it right in the beginning and you're like, oh, yeah. this is great. You know? Yeah, exactly. So um, it was, it was, I think, easier to see it on screen than reading every little detail, you know? So mm-hmm. it has that, I guess, to it. That's what true. are you watching? Well, I am not watching anything. Well, that's not true. I am watching something new. I started watching The Good Place finally. That actually, I um, that's been on my watch list for a long time, and I watched maybe like the first three episodes, and I really liked it, and I just haven't gotten back to it. It's good. I like it's it so cute. far. Yeah, cute concept. Yes, it's a very interesting concept. It's got a lot of great characters, a lot of great. I would say a lot of great representation. Um, and it's created by Mike Schur, who is of course um was part of the office parks and rec um just great great writer creator producer just funny guy um do like it a lot so far i also started re-watching i'm always re-watching something i started re-watching shameless the other day which is now on its 
well, it has 10 season on 10 seasons on Netflix, but I do believe that there is an 11th season in the works. I don't know that for sure, but, um, that show I remember watching years ago and really enjoying and I do still enjoy it. It still holds up, I think, although it does get really bad towards the last couple seasons. I just could not get into Shameless. It's just too uncomfortable for me. I don't like it. It definitely has some uncomfortable moments, but mm-hmm. I'm, in the in the beginning seasons, um, Joan Cusack has a supporting role, and she is fantastic. She plays an agoraphor- agoraphobic woman. She's a mother of one of the kind of like love interests of the Gallagher kids. She's wonderful. And she's a big reason why I liked the show in the mm-hmm. first couple of seasons. Cause she's great. Um, she's kind of like comedic relief, but also um, just a very, very interesting character. There's a lot of interesting characters on that show for sure. Um, but other than that, I'm again, still keeping it busy. Um, haven't had a chance to watch anything else, but I did want to bring up because you brought up, you know, reading. So Nina and I actually started a book club at the beginning of this year and it kind of just never went anywhere because pretty much right after we started was when everything got shut down. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, we never followed through with that. But um, I've been really wanting to get back into into reading. Um, what was was the book that we picked out that everybody hated? Oh, I don't remember. The Nightingale? Yeah, it was The Nightingale. I didn't have as big of a problem with it as everybody else did. I didn't either. I didn't finish it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think a lot of people were just annoyed that it was like a slow start kind of book and it's a lot, it's a long book. So like the slow start to it, to it, it was like half of the book, <laughs> which I understand. That's true. Yeah. I got like halfway through it. And then I was like, yeah, I don't have any like particular attachment to like necessarily finishing it. I would like to finish it someday, but I'm not like dying to know what's going to happen, you know? Right. I have so many of those books. You guys can't see, but I'm in my office at my house right now. I have a bookshelf behind me full of books that I have started and never finished. So (laughs) I was just thinking about it too, because um, again, I I think all the time about all these shows that, you know, are kind of up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen with them. Pretty Little Lies was a big uh, summer favorite of mine last year. I watched the first two seasons on maternity leave and fell in love. And of course it is based on a book and I really want to go read it now. But then I look at all these other books that I have that I've never finished. And I'm like, why spend the money on a new book when you have all these other books to finish? But true. I feel like we all, sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like we all, anyone who likes books has that problem. True. Um, Yeah. I'm always like ready to buy the next book. I just put them in my like, Kindle wish list on Amazon. And then I'm like, no, oh, I'll get to it eventually after I finish one book or whatever I'll ask for them for Christmas. But um, I was going to say that one of the books that I read last year was Becoming by Michelle Obama. And they turned, they did a Netflix documentary about her like book release and signing. I'm not sure if you watched that, but it was really, really good. No, but I wanted to. I love Michelle Obama. Yes. The book was excellent. The Netflix special on it was excellent. And now she is starting podcast. <gasps> Michelle doing it all. I know I'm obsessed with her. She's just like the definition of a boss woman. People know that she actually has like more schooling. Like she's more intelligent. I don't want to say she's more intelligent intelligent than Barack, but like, wasn't she like his superior in law yeah. school? Yeah. Yep. yep. Badass Thank woman. You. Like, not only was she, you know, underprivileged, um, a black woman, 
like well she was underprivileged and she was black and she was poor but she was also a woman on top of all of those things so like the amount that I just feel like she had to have worked so much harder than Barack to get to like essentially the same place you know that they were both lawyers um when they met so and yeah he was in law school doing like an internship at the firm that she worked at and so she was like his mentor basically um and then they started dating sorry Sorry, no, that was where I was going to end. No, I was just going to say that is the American dream right there. The real American dream is working your way from the bottom, pushing past those glass ceilings and just eventually doing the most and being just so badass. I love it. She's amazing. I could listen to her talk and interview people and talk about her life and her story like forever. She's just a fascinating woman. And she's so smart and just freaking awesome. She is. So and awesome. So you said the, the documentary on her book is on Netflix? Mm-hmm. I think it's come I think it's called Becoming also. Um, and it's just like of her book release. And like it, I was like in tears watching it because she is just such a personable woman. Like she took the time when she was doing book signing to literally like shake hands and talk to every single person in line. Like it was like so heartwarming. Like she ask them about their their like family and and all this stuff like every person in the line to get their book signed had like a personal connection with Michelle Obama when they left like it was just so heartwarming I know how people feel about wives or or, um, first ladies running for president but Michelle Obama you should run for president not Mm -hmm. 2020 (laughs) but maybe someday (laughs) well I always get in this in this kind of argument with people that I said, oh, I read Michelle Obama's book when I read it last year. And they're like, oh, you know, like I'm not a Democrat, so I don't care. And I'm like, you don't have to be a Democrat. You don't have to be Republican. You don't have to be anything to appreciate how hard she worked to get to where she was even before she became the first lady of the United States. Like just an awesome first lady. She is her own person. Yes. She's so awesome. She's, um, I mean, she's a mom, which is like you know, the hardest job, plus all of the other jobs that she did and all the other things that she had to do to work to where she was. And it was just like, and she's just a freaking nice person, which is also super, super good to have, you know, when, when you're being, your country is being represented, um, having somebody that is just a good person in charge. I do miss the Obamas a lot. (laughs) <laughs> um, but anyway, not gonna lie <laughs> but anyway that is what else we're watching all right everybody welcome back to our review of athlete a so nina did a little bit of a deep dive on the um man or monster I'll call him in question Larry Nasser. so he obviously has a history before his reign that's a horrible word for it but before his run I guess as um as uh, the doctor for uh the Olympic gymnastics team so Nina take it away um so I just was looking because it's fascinating to me that all of these people in leadership in the USA gymnastics um worshiped this guy like they were like no he's great like he would never do this to children blah 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 like everyone was like ready to defend him um 
and I think it's just because of his credentials, basically. So um, he graduated from Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine in 1993. So he was a doctor of osteopathic medicine, which is essentially the same as an MD. Um, he was a physician. So he did his residency in family practice at St. Lawrence Hospital. Um, and that was in Michigan as well. And then he completed a sports fellowship um, in 1997. So he did kind of specialize in gymnastics and the treatment of gymnastic injury. Um, he worked as a, an assistant professor at Michigan State University's Department of Family and Community Medicine in the College of Human Medicine in 1997, um, where he made a ton of money every year. Like that was a sweet job for him. Um, <clears throat> he started doing like his, his like research and his treatment on US, on, not on USA, but he started doing his research and treatment of gymnastics injuries while he was working for the college. And he became a team doctor for a high school gymnastics team in 1996. So he had all of that experience working with athletes, basically leading up to the point where he um, was working with the United States gymnastics team. So he was, before he even went to medical school, he was an athletic athletic trainer for the USA gymnastics team, which so obviously that's not a doctor, but that's somebody that's working with gymnasts. So he already had kind of that in, and then he started working for them as the medical coordinator between 1996 and 2014. Um, so he had all of these like great credentials. I think he even talked about how like, or he didn't talk about it, but they talk about it in the documentary, like about how when you work for the college, you had to have basically like a little side, a little side job as a volunteer work, basically. And so that's kind of how he got his in with USA Gymnastics is he was like previously their athletic trainer. And so he was like, well, I'll just do this on the side, um, serving as just like the team doctor, um, as volunteer work basically and so then he kind of got on got brought on there um but he did all of this research and he was uploading videos like instructional videos for other sports medicine doctors of like how to treat these injuries and how to stretch the girls out and how to like do realignments and all of this stuff so he had like hundreds of videos educational website um basically he was kind of like a guru in his field of treating specific to gymnastics related injuries. So he had like a pretty, I mean, just from the outside looking in, if you didn't know him, you would be like pretty impressed by like, you can go to this guy's website. You can see everything that he does. He's like showing you on like actual people, like how to do a massage of like an area of injury or how to like realign something. And so, um, I think just him being this like kind of medical coordinator, he's like almost kind of like a superstar of, that like little sector of like the USA, like Olympic teams, like everybody knew who he was. He was just kind of this, like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say famous, but he kind of was famous. Like he, people knew who he was. He was um, very, sorry. He was very well liked. And also, yeah. um, I, when they showed clips of those videos that you're talking about, those like instructional videos, knowing now what we know, mm -hmm. um, so gross to watch yeah. because there are some times when he's like, yeah, you can put some tape here. And it's like very close to a very private range on a young girl. And I'm like, I understand that 
well, and maybe I don't, you know, cause some things I'm like, Oh, I'm sure, you know, that might make sense. But then again, knowing what he really did, um, it just makes it all the more creepy. And I, Oh, I'm mm-hmm. glad they blurred out the faces of, of the other girls. Well, I'm assuming they would have to for, you know, privacy sake, but, um, mm-hmm. ugh, that was, gross. there's even that, like, there's a video of him being interrogated kind of like, it was yeah. even before he was like actually brought into jail or anything. It was like at the facility, that somebody like came in and was like well we had another allegation and so we have to ask you these like standard questions and blah 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 and the lady was like basically asking him like why would you need to stick your fingers inside a person like to help them mm-hmm. and he's like trying to talk his way around it like he's like well you know in order to align blah 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 and she's like well i didn't see like any of that any of those methods being used like anywhere else like I don't think that that's like a real a real method um so it's just like listening to him try to like backtrack his way and like try to justify the things that he does like basically just using medical jargon to like confuse people and try to justify it it's just cringeworthy to know what he was doing and that people were just like oh he's using medical jargon so he knows what he's doing and we'll just trust it Yep. And, um, yeah, those interrogation videos are pretty, pretty weird to watch. It was also really disgusting to hear about how he would touch these girls in front of their parents and they didn't even know because he got so good at hiding it. He got so good at, you know, just very discreetly putting his hand somewhere and blocking himself between the parent and the child and the child being like, I think it was even Maggie who said that, um, or maybe it was one of the other girls, one of the other gymnasts who had said that, later years later they had asked their mother who was there like did you know he was doing this and she said no and they were in the same room like that's how good he got at it and that's and yeah again trying to explain away penetrating a child like well the well, the coccyx that's why i need to put my fingers in the anus because i have you know to feel that and then you can tell how nervous he's getting you can tell he's starting to fidget a little bit doing you know all the telltale signs of somebody who is being dishonest disgusting <laughs> horrible horrible these poor girls who were just like they didn't know any better they're like oh this is probably normal and then they'd ask other girls like oh yeah he does that to me too and it just went on and on it just reminds me of in that interrogation the woman is like do you ever get like sexually aroused by touching these women and then he she just like he like goes on to talk about like oh well you know sometimes men get erections for unknown reasons and it's like oh my god like disgusting you don't just get an erection in front of a child because that doesn't happen and if it does there's something wrong i wanted to i found this interesting article about that was actually released um the day that the documentary came out about a few things that the documentary left out some stuff that I found interesting. Steve Penny actually received a $1 million severance package when he resigned in 2017. Oh my God. What a garbage person. Uh, a man, uh, just the just epitome of somebody who is putting profit over people. He did not care about his athletes. He did not care about the organization. He did not care about the families or the children. He cared about the money that these children made him and to get $1 million after that. And then just quietly stepping away. Thankfully he was arrested. He is currently waiting trial though. He did make bail. So Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen there. 
hopefully he gets what he deserves. Um, I did mention that the USA Gymnastics was suffering financially. They actually did file for bankruptcy. Um, in January of this year, um, they offered Nasser's victims a $215 million settlement that they could either vote to accept as a group or decline in order to continue pursuing their lawsuits. And the settlement was overwhelmingly rejected. So good for you girls. Yes. Good for you women, I should say. Um, and then of course, it wasn't just Larry and Steve and uh, the USA Gymnastics that um, got ro- roped up in all of this. Um, Michigan State University, who uh, hired Larry Nasser, um, President Lou Ann K. Simon, was also charged with two felonies in November of 2018. She was accused of lying to police about her knowledge of the abuse during the investigation. She resigned in January of 2018, and in May of 2020, the charges were dismissed um, with the judge citing a lack of evidence. That kind of sucks. Former Michigan State Gymnastics coach Kathy Cleggs was charged in August of 2018, also accused of lying. Um, She was found guilty, though, in February of 2020 and convicted of one felony and one misdemeanor charge, and she's currently awaiting her sentencing. And then finally, Nassar's boss, Dr. William D. Strample, was convicted of misconduct and willful neglect and was sentenced to one year in prison. So at least there's a few other people out there who are getting what they deserve for hiding this. And kind of like I had said at the beginning of this podcast, this topic, unfortunately, is nothing new. And I don't know how in tune everyone is with everything that's going on in the world right now, but um, sex trafficking is kind of actually a huge um, topic at the moment. Of course, it always should be. um, Well, I would say should be. How do I phrase this? Um, Sex trafficking is actually very prominent in this country right now, um, especially in Nebraska. Nebraska is one of the top states, which is very scary. Um, And it's, it's, I know everyone feels this way, but just how could anybody just willingly hurt an unwilling, unknowing, innocent child, whether it's somebody, you know, training to be an Olympic gymnast to just a six month old baby, you know, it's, it's, it's truly awful how people and especially children in this country to say this without really leading any political way or not, there are a lot of people who claim that they are for the children, but then this kind of stuff happens and you don't hear about it or it's swept under the rug and it goes up to these high, high levels of power. It's just, it's, it's truly, as a parent too, as a parent and as a woman, it's scary to live in this country, to live in this world, knowing these things are, are just ignored or swept under the rug. And so Again, I I can appreciate a documentary like this because it does bring these things to light. It does keep us informed on the uglier parts of our society that need to be addressed, that need to be changed. And as hard as it is to listen to, we need to to stay vigilant and alert to these problems. And hopefully one day they they can go away or be eradicated entirely. I totally agree. I think just putting the knowledge out there, what we know about these cases, what we can like, just making it public knowledge and, and making it important. I think that was it, what's her name? Blake Lively. Did you see her, her interview? Yeah. She's talking about sex trafficking and whatnot. I mean, it's people 
with the platform that need to be standing up to bring awareness to these things because I think that a lot of people are in denial about how how bad it really really is um yeah it's just horrifying but um this documentary was a super quick watch um I would recommend it to anybody just to see what these women went through um and obviously it's good to, to hear that Larry Nasser's in jail. He's not going to be touching any girls anytime soon, probably. I mean, two 60-year 60 60 year convictions. Yes. And yeah, he, he's not getting out. No. So. And something, if, if you know anything about the prison system, not that I've ever been to prison, I have not. But if something, if you know anything about it, they don't like pedophiles. So hopefully he gets what he deserves. That's all I'll say. I do want to end this podcast on a positive note. So I found this great article on some of the gymnasts that were interviewed in this documentary and just kind of where they're at now. So I'm um, starting with Maggie Nichols. Um, in 2016, she retired from elite gymnastics and she joined um, the team at University of Oklahoma. In 2018, she became the NCAA national all-around champion, defended the title as well in 2019. And she's still a gymnast to this day. Rachel Den Hollander, she actually um, became a lawyer, a Time 100 honoree, and a 2018 Glamour Woman of the Year. She had four children. She released a memoir. Um, she is now a national advocate for sexual assault victims. She also wrote a children's book. Um, so that's awesome. Jessica Howard, we didn't really talk about her. Um, she was, um, a champion from 1999 to 2001. Um, and, um, she's now a leading advocate for the rights of children in sports, speaking before Congress, state legislatures, and the Council on Foreign Relations, among many others. Jamie Danster, I, I feel like I'm butchering her last name. Um, she actually, um, now runs a YouTube channel called From Inside Out. She aims to help others dealing with abuse and trauma. This is actually very, very new. She also has a podcast on the way, so that's awesome. Jennifer Say, didn't talk about her as well. She was um, more like in the 80s. Um, she actually now works as Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Levi. Um, and she lives with her husband, two children, um, as well as two children from a previous relationship. She was named a producer for the documentary. She's written and produced two other short films as well as writing a book. The book is called Chalked Up Inside Elite Gymnastics' Merciless Coaching, Overzealous Parents, Eating Disorders, and Elusive Olympic Dreams. So thankfully, I mean, I don't know if this is the case for everyone, um, unfortunately, that um, fell victim to these practices. But um, at the very least, there is some hope for some of these women who um, can now heal. So that was definitely a, a big positive that I saw at the end. Yeah, I loved seeing that, especially with Maggie um, knowing that she was able to, she, when she, um, didn't make the 2016 Olympic team, she was like, I'm done. Like, this was an awful experience. Like, um, never going to do this again. And then she kind of found her way back to gymnastics in college and, and was able to still kind of live out her dream of being a champion and in, in her sport. And that was a really heartwarming thing for me to see that, like, she didn't just totally give up on it. She just found another way to get there. I agree. Well, Nina, what would you rate this documentary? Um, I think I would rate it four and a half out of five. Um, honestly, I didn't think it was long enough. I wanted more information. I wanted more 
interviews, more testimonials, like it went by super fast because it was just so such heavy material. And maybe that's why they kept it short. Maybe they knew that like, you know, there's only so much you can hear about somebody doing what they, what Larry Nassar did to these poor girls. But um, now I'm just like fascinated to hear what these women are doing, how this is changing the Olympics, um, how it's changing just like sports for young women. Um, I, I just have like more questions and, and want more information on it. So uh, it just left me wanting more, which made, made that, I mean, that's a good thing. I can do my own research and everything, but I just wish it was a little bit longer. All right. Fair. Um, I think I'm going to give this one a four out of five. There was really nothing that I found wrong with it. It's definitely very heavy subject matter. I would agree. Maybe it could have been a series. Um, I kind of liked with like the Aaron Hernandez series, it was three episodes instead of, you know, like eight or nine or 10, like some of these are, um, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I'm given more information on, I would have loved more information on some of these women back in the seventies and the eighties. Um, and even the nineties, I would have loved to have heard more from them. Um, unfortunately we didn't really get any of, we had a few. Um, and then I just thought, I don't know, this might be really nitpicky, but I thought some of the music and some of the like B-roll type editing stuff, I thought was a little weird. (laughs) Um, I just didn't think it really fit at times, um, in my opinion. And maybe, you know, you have to have some kind of somewhat lively music for a very heavy subject. I, I don't know, but I mean, that's not really a problem. It's just me from a creator side, something that I kind of like, I could tell like, oh, they, you know, they put this, you know, article together. I did think it was kind of cool though, when they show, you know, like, you know, either Facebook or YouTube comments, that was really cool how they did that. Um, but no, overall, yeah, four out of five, I definitely mm-hmm. think as hard as these, like I've said before, as hard as these subjects are to get through, whether it's about, you know, abuse, racism, um, discrimination, any of these really hard topics that people don't want to talk about watching documentaries like these is uncomfortable, but change is uncomfortable. And the only way that we can learn from past mistakes is to kind of face them head on. So, Mm -hmm. um, definitely give this one to watch. Yeah. And if you end up like me and you are left wanting more, um, about the Olympic level, kind of mental health toll that it takes on people. I know that HBO just came out with a show this week um, right here at the end of July called The Weight of Gold. And it is a lot about Michael Phelps and his journey um, and exploring the mental health challenges that comes with being an athlete at that level. I saw that. That looks interesting. Yeah. I think I'm going to watch it next. Yeah. Well, and you said that one's on HBO? Yep. Just came out. Looks like it's an hour long, so another quick one. So, hey, guys, if you give that one a watch, let us know. Otherwise, if you have given Athlete A a watch, let us know what you thought in the comments. Um, As always, we are always looking for new things to watch. So if there is a show, a movie, a documentary that you have seen, and you think that we should give it a review, please let us know, and we'll add it to our list. But until then, everyone, keep on streaming. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. Let us know in the comments what you're watching and if we should give it a review. Until next time, keep streaming.